Welcome to Newton Co, an Eye for the Light podcast series where we put questions to photographers about their photography. I'd like to introduce you to my fellow interviewer, fellow photographer, David Newton. David, over to you to introduce today's guest. Hi, Chris. Uh, good to be back again. Uh, yes, today we are honoured to have Larry Louie with us. Uh, Larry is a Canadian, I'm going to say photographer, but photographer op- ophthalmologist i think optometrist optometrist there we go chris uh chris uh giving me wrong information there Uh, optometrist (laughs) um and uh, larry has had uh quite an extensive uh trip through the photographic times of i don't know what 20 odd years or so and we're going to find out a little bit more a little bit more about that former i believe um travel photographer of the year winner as well uh is that i am writing saying that am i not Yes, yes, it has been. I can't remember what year, though, Chris. 2010. 2010. Whoa. There we yeah. 11 years ago. That yeah, seemed like a long, long time ago. Yeah, well, next year's the award's 20th year. Wow. <laughs> no, it's hard to believe. Okay. <laughs> Honestly, wow. Well, anyway, so we're actually, we, 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 we will start with some questions. So you're an optometrist, uh, Larry. Um, That's right. And you're a photographer at the same time how do you marry the two of those together and and did one lead into the other obviously they're both very well they're both all about sight so how do how do they play off against each other how do you marry them together uh well i guess it started all started well i was always a little kid i always wanted to travel and i always wanted to see you know uh different worlds and different cultures and so i dreamt of going to places far and far away and it didn't really happen because we came from a very middle class or lower middle class family. Um, but I went to school and um, wanted to be a photographer uh, as a professional. Um, but being a, from a Chinese traditional Chinese family, my parents felt it was more important to get a get a real career, quote real career. Um, so I went into medical school and fell in love with sight and uh, switched over to optometry school. And during those times, I spent a lot of time focusing on my career, uh, developed my practice. And only in the last maybe 15, 15, that, 15 to 17 years, I was able to take the time to travel and to, to take some photographs. And uh, one time we went to India and uh, just fell in love with the country, took some pictures and my uh, wife took an image I took um, to enter into the National Geographic photo competition, the national competition. And uh, lo and behold, I came in second place overall uh, with an image. And it got me a little bit of uh, notoriety in the local paper. So they did a spread on me. And that led to uh, an organization named SEVA in, Ca- in Vancouver, Canada to take notice and SEVA is a nonprofit organization that provides health uh, eye care, uh, cataract surgery, eye, you know, uh, glasses and health care for the eyes to the developing world. And they approached me to uh, um, do some work with them in both in the uh, medical side, as well as uh, providing images for their website and their social media. And that led to more work. And that's sort of how the two melted together. Wow, very interesting. So, I mean, it's, you've kind of led into 
I guess our second question, you do do a lot of charity work, uh, it it would seem. And and I guess that was probably the genesis of it. Um, Can you tell us maybe a bit more about your charity work and and how you incorporate photography into that? What what do you hope to do with your photography? Well, I think it's just to bring awareness about um, some of the social issues that we have in this world, in the developing world. I focused, when I first met with Seva in Vancouver, they wanted me to go and do some training to some of the local doctors in Tanzania. And so I went down there and uh, did work in the hospital there for a little while. While I was there, I took some pictures and those pictures um, was sent back to Seva and they used it for some promotional purpose. And uh, that led to just more and more work with them. Um, I was What I do is I hope to use the images to bring awareness to the situation, either healthcare uh, or um, even you know, social issues that are uh, lingering in some of these countries that we visited. And what are you, obviously we've had a pandemic, what are you working on at the moment? Is there, is there anything particular Nothing. that you're- Yeah, so um, with the pandemic, I wasn't able to travel, but before I went, before we had lockdown in Canada, I had a, a sort of a, project I was going to work on, I was flying to India, back to India, and working on a project to um, bring forth blindness and visual impairment in the in the developing world. I was going to start in India and move back to my favorite country, Bangladesh, and then and then and go from there. Um, unfortunately, with the pandemic, everything got shut down. So that project was it's been on hold for for the last year and a half. Okay. And Bangladesh is your favorite country, but yeah. pray, tell, pray tell why. Well, first of all, I think visually it's stunning. You know, I, uh, you know, I, when I started photography, I wanted to shoot pictures of um, uh, vanishing cultures and interesting people and cult and landscapes and so on. And, but I sort of changed my sort of my mandate in my photography. I wanted to show more social conscious issues. And when I had a exhibition in, in Madrid, and with the curator there, uh, they were, we were just having some supper. We were having supper, and uh, he asked me, "Where would you like to go next?" You know, I, I just, came, just came back from China, and uh, I said, "I would love to see Bangladesh. I've seen some images of of the people there, and, and I wanted to go." And it was just sort of a off the cuff. It wasn't anything that I was really that serious at the time. And he said, "Well, I know somebody who who's from there. He's a great photographer. Would you like to meet him?" And so he they linked he linked us together, and through uh, emails, we I decided you know we decided to hook up. So I flew to Bangladesh, and not really expecting much, uh, but it became a lifelong friendship with this gentleman, and uh, and I love photographing there. Uh, the people there are the warmest people we've ever met. Uh, they're so open, and you know uh, it's and it's so genuine. It's not a place where a lot of tourists would go. And that makes it, as a photographer, it makes it fantastic because you're not going to get the touristy shots. You're not going to get the the typical things that you see in Instagram or, or postcards or whatever. And, uh, and and the people allowed you into their homes, into their lives. It's so, it's beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And they struggle. I mean, it's one of the poorest countries in the world. And uh, I mean, it's a huge population. And unfortunately, a lot of the people living there are living below the poverty line, you know, having struggles finding work, finding food, finding fresh water, 
Um, it, it is a sad situation, but I just find when I go there, I could be myself and, and I think I could do a little bit of a, make a difference to, you know, you can't help everyone, but you're able to help one person. Uh, it makes a big difference sure. in my mind. Yeah. Sure. I think having spent a while looking through your, your images, there's a real you know, connection with your subject. Mm. Um, they're, they're very intimate portraits. Well, thank how you, do you like, how did you, how did you develop that style and how do you go about building, I guess, that rapport because you, those pictures don't come by chance. There's a, there's a lot in the background going on. So how did you kind of develop that? I think it's again, through, through the love of photography, you know, you, you know, as, as you know, you know, nothing comes easy, nothing good comes easy. It takes hard work, it takes perseverance and takes many times and trying it out. Um, you know, initially I was quite, uh, you know, I guess apprehensive, shy, whatever it is to, to like when you're photographing the natural world when I was growing up and, and then photographing, you know, going to places and taking tour shots, uh, you don't really have to, you don't really have to come in contact with any locals, not really. But the moment you want to do a social issue image where you're trying to get a story from them or trying to sort of see their lives in a more genuine way, you have to spend time with them to them, let them make you feel make, make, you know, you got to have to feel, they, they have to feel comfortable with you being present. Um, and there's no more uh, important when I, uh, than when I went to the refugee camp, the Rohingya refugee camp in Bangladesh, uh, where all the Myanmar uh, Rohingya people, fled um, Myanmar and, and entered the, uh, the refugee camps there. I spent a week there and it was probably, if not one of my most memorable experiences in my life, uh, just to see how these people survive at going through this horrific ordeal. Uh, it really brings your, your mind and your, um, your thoughts to a different location, different mindset. Um, I absolutely fell in love with that project um, because photography to me is just an excuse to meet people. You know, take, bring the camera with you allows you to become braver, allows you to become the idea that you said, I can approach these people and ask them questions and try to learn a little bit about their lives, you know? But in turn, and the funny thing is, is that I get a lot of people ask me, well, don't you feel you're invading their privacy? And in some way, it's true. You know, I mean, you are walking to a stranger and you are with a camera around your neck and you're asking questions. I can tell you there's more um, positive experience and negative experience from that, where the people are very welcoming to you. They are willing to tell their story to you. Because at the end of the day, everybody wants to be heard, you know, if it, in different ways. Uh, if they're willing to tell their story, I'm willing to listen. And then the photography is just a side, side thing that comes along with it. The beauty of that is that allows you to be able to take that, that message to the rest of the, your audience. You, you um, describe yourself as a humanitarian documentary photographer and storyteller. 
How does well, that? People tell me that. I don't know if I say what I am that way. <laughs> All right. <laughs> How does that shape what you shoot? Or I mean, is it is it has that sort of title come from what you naturally drawn to, or are you? Yes, I would definitely think so. I mean, I guess it all started when I went to Nepal. You know, I was still photographing beautiful landscapes and beautiful cultures and, and things like that. And we went to, we were planning to go to Tibet um, to photograph more of the Buddhist monks. And for some reason, we couldn't get access. So we, my wife and I diverted to Nepal. But didn't know too much about it other than the fact that it's got the Himalayan mountains and, and so on. It's got a beautiful city of Kathmandu and, uh, you know, a lot of hikers and so on. And we were going to do some hiking and do some sightseeing. And anyways, we met a man and uh, he's uh, there through a friend, a uh, contact. And uh, he said, Larry, you know, I mean, this is great and fine. And, but uh, I see that you're interested in photography. And then I said, yeah, I love photographing cultures and so on. And uh, he said, well, let me show you some of the real people in Kathmandu, um, not just the tourist parts where they're selling trinkets and tankas and prayer wheels and blah, blah, blah. And I said, yeah, I'd love to do that. And he took me down to the river and we spend a day there walking around the river where the local people live in these shanty huts. Um, and I just, it just hit me. I just said, this is where I want to do shooting. I don't really want to shoot your typical tourist shots of the temples and people like that. I wanted to shoot the real people, the unknown person. And, uh, and that led me to start my documentary type work. Um, yeah. In, in, in meeting these people, meeting all these people through my photographic career, it really enriched my life, you know, because I was a sheltered kid living in Canada. I didn't have any access to anything other than what you see on television and, you know, and, and reading articles and looking at National Geographic magazines and things like that. But this opened my eyes to a whole new world that allowed me to enter a world that I absolutely fell in love with. You know, I, uh, I get, I get a lot of people digging onto me. Like, you know, when you, when you go on your next holiday and I, I would say, yeah, I'm, I'm going to a big garbage dump living there for four days. And, and they said, you'd rather go to a garbage dump and, you know, swarm with flies and smell of methane gas and rotten, rotten, uh, decaying matter versus living on a beautiful beach in a five-star hotel. Well, don't get me wrong. I like that too. <laughs> but the idea of coming back from a five-star hotel, um, it's nice. It's relaxing, you know, nice to get away from it all. But when you come back from a trip where you're actually meeting some of these people that you never would have met if you didn't have photography as a, as a tool, uh, as a vehicle to enter these worlds, I would not be enriched in my life. That's interesting. Much of your photography is in black and white. What is it about that medium that attracts you? You know, it's hard to say. I think uh, I was um, mesmerized by some of my idols like uh, Sebastian Sagado and Joseph Kudelka, some of these my favorite photographers. When I was in school in, 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 the, in the east coast of uh, Canada, um, I went down to New York and visited uh, the Guggenheim Museum, and there was a retrospective show of Kudelka there. And I just fell in love with his work. You know, his grittiness, his really dark black and white images, his images of the gypsies and these sort of uh, marginal uh, cultures 
it really interested me. And I said, well, that's what I really like to do. So it's more for, by, because I want to emulate some of these masters of photography. So there's Same, definitely echoes of Salgado in some of your work. Thank you very much. I mean, he, he's, to me, he is the best documentary photographer. His, his projects on migration and workers and, and the gold mine and all those kind of things that I, I just look at them and say, wow, this man is absolutely amazing. And, and I, what, I, what I learned from him is that uh, he can photograph something that is a little bit hard to see, you know, things that are um, not pretty so much. You know, they have a very, very important message to tell. But he photographed it in a way where it's not just a snapshot. He photographs in a way where there is beauty and visual balance and it's amazing lighting and, and, and just overall, we look at the composition, especially some of his masterpieces, you look at them and you just want to stare at them. And one of the quotes I remember him saying is that, you know, I want to make a photograph that people want to see. Uh, it's not just like, oh, I can't look at this. You know, you, 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 you look at it because it's visually beautiful of a horrific or a, you know, not so nice subject matter. And that's what I think is, is the key is that he uses his photography to communicate, but for the communication really to work well is that he produces an image that is visually stunning. I think, and I think that's what captures the, the tension of people. I mean, I think Chris is right. There are definite echoes of Salgado in your work. And I'm, I'm curious about the process. Obviously you, you know, he, he's a, I mean, he's a, a phenomenal photographer and a hero to many, but how do you go about when you're actually out shooting? How do you, how do you approach a subject in the sense of what are you looking for? Are you looking for the light? Are you looking for the story? Are you looking for the combination? Yeah, definitely the combination. I think a uh, perfect example is when I went down to, use an example, I went down to Manila. Manila is, I don't know if you've been to Manila before. Manila is a very huge economy of, of cultures. You've got this wealth that is second to none in this world. There's people with driving Rolls Royces and you know, Lamborghinis and and, thing, and wearing you know Gucci this and Gucci that. Then you have the people who are just utterly in poverty. People living in garbage dumps, living people picking up food um, from the garbage area to to eat. Uh, it is a huge dichotomy, and so I, of course I you know I have inclination to go to that side, and. What you're looking for is you're looking for just, you know, you look, you're walking around looking for a scene. You know, you look at the lighting, you look at the environment and, and you sort of, they say, well, you look at the scene, okay, this is a scene that I really want to photograph. And if you're just walking around photographing it, you're waiting for something to happen. You're waiting for people to, to, to start working in there or, um, or doing something to make the photograph a little more interesting. And then once you've done that, then you, you went, you go, approach them and you say you talk to them and um, and you try to get more information and more a little story about their lives and then you dig deeper and dig deeper and move forward like that so I look for a scene that like so when I look at my photographs um, it is sort of sort of I would call it almost like environmental portraiture I my focus is the people their life but also the image around the person is very important to me. It's not just their face, which is, is still very, very important and their eyes and how they communicate to you, but it's also their living environment, their work environment that also tells a story. 
Um, that's why I tend to, you know, use a wider angle lens approach so that I can show the person, the photographer, the, uh, the character or the, the person in the picture amongst his natural environment. It could be garbage dump. It could be um, a factory or whatever. Interesting. You talk about your, like talk about the lens there. I, I said your images are incredibly intimate, but they're also, they have a, a simplicity to them where, and I mean that in the best way possible. They're not, they don't feel encumbered by technology. They feel very, I don't know, genuine, very raw. Well, thank um, you so much, David, say, for saying that. Um, I think what it is, is uh, um, it's part of my personality. I, I'm, I'm an inquisitive person and love meeting people. And so, um, and I think sometimes a smiling face or a laugh can bring a long way, can come a long way to be able to be approachable. You know, um, you got to have to, I guess, try to simulate in the environment you're in, even though you, I would stand out in a lot of places being a big Chinese guy. Um, but uh, if you could sort of make yourself smaller and become less significant in the surrounding area and just sort of document what you're seeing. I try not to manipulate anything because to me that will really show easily in a photograph. You don't want to force an issue with somebody because again, it will show in the photograph, the expression on the face and so on, or their, their, their level of anxiety when they're being photographed. Um, that's why it's important. I mean, when, I, when I photograph, I take one or two shots and then see how it goes and then we'll move forward. Like a lot of, you know, I find a lot of digital photographers of today, they'll shoot, you know, before they walk into the door, they'll shoot, you know, 500 shots because those, you know, 30 shots a second comes very, very fast. And to me, it's more about connecting with the person you're trying to photograph, allowing, allowing yourself to be in their life a little bit, let them feel at ease with you. And then, and then hopefully capturing a moment that seems a little bit more intimate, a little bit more uh, genuine in the picture. Are you, so are you still shooting film or are you, is there no, like a no. film? I, I'm, old, I'm, I'm 60 years old now. I shot film for a long time, um, but I have switched over to digital. Yeah. Okay. And I mean, so maybe slightly off topic, but how did you, how do you find that transition? If obviously you've shot with film for a long time, mm -hmm. how do you, particularly given your subject matter and how you approach your subjects, there's a, there's very definitely a different feel between film and digital. And yet, I agree. I agree. You still but... seem to create that, like your digital pictures still seem to have that film feel about them. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I, that's what, that is what I like. Um, I, I still shoot like it was film, you know, because I don't, like I said, I'm not trigger happy. I pretend there's only 36 images in my camera in some way. So each image does mean something to me. And I think it's less is more. Um, and, and I think if you're sitting in front of a, a camera, you're looking through the viewfinder or a screen and you're, all you're doing is seeing the subject through that, you become, you lost a connection with them. So I think a lot of it's really important to develop that relationship first and to be able, be able to have that connection with that, your subject before you pick your camera up to your eye. Um, and when you do that, you try to, you know, 
capture the moment as quickly as you can because that moment is fleeting. Um, and so, um, so I don't really shoot any different than I used to shoot. I usually still shoot one shot at a time. Um, it's all manual. The only thing that's nice about digital for me is, of course, able to see the image and make sure you've got it. That's the nicest thing about that. And also the dynamic range of the sensors now is so great that when I photograph inside a very dark environment, I can pull up the shadows and so on. So that's kind of nice too as well. So technologically, it's much more advanced. So you're able to get images that you probably wouldn't get on film with better resolution and, and rendition. But all in all, my approach is no different than I used to. I'm a you know guy from old school. I don't really do a lot of new stuff, to be honest with you. Um, and I, I approach my photography like I've always been approached it, you know, in the past. The beauty of digital is also be able to convert things to, to color from black uh, from color to black and white, or you know, or go back to color. Um, because we were done the lockdown this past year and a half, and I couldn't travel, I decided to work on a new project where I developed a new book. Um, so my first book that came out about a year and a half ago, right before COVID was mostly black and white images called Beyond the Darkness. Uh, the second book just came out um, and it's a book of color images. Um, so I went back to my archives uh, all the way from the beginning um, and I pulled images that I took with, my, with slides and with film and also some digital as well too and worked on them to be color images. So, you know, when I, when I select images for my, my book and my work, before I would be looking at lighting and shadows and form and shape and context and all con, uh, context and all that, thinking this would make a great black and white photograph. But now, this past year and a half, working on the second book, I um, I went through back my images and the images I would have rejected initially because they would have been not so good in black and white were much better in color. And the color image, some of these color images really shone because of the color content, but the color didn't be make the picture. The color just added to the whole story. That was really important to me. That's interesting because sometimes color can be a real distraction and, and, and weaker images get reproduced because they flash color in your face. Um, exactly. If I'm right, over the last few years, you've devoted more of your time to your photography and yes. you mentioned the book Beyond the Darkness. Yes. Yes. Um, what inspired you to do that? And and with the book, did you self-publish it? Yes, I did. I was very, um, you know, I, I'm not a I'm not a well-known photographer. I don't really do this full time. I don't promote myself full time. I still focus as my practice as an eye doctor. Um, but I wanted to do the book just because I think it was important for me to create a chapter in my life, and this was sort of the summation of that. Um, and so I looked back at my images and I thought, well, there's enough images here where I think it would make a you know good enough book. And um, and I did. It was a, it was my first time making a book. It, it it was a fun but very very exhausting and frustrating you know project. Uh, but I loved every second of it. And at the end of the day, you get this thing that just it just belongs to you. You know, I designed it. Um, I picked the paper. I picked the. I sort of everything I did. I decided on my own, and that led to, unfortunately, led to uh, a, a book that was 
expensive to make, you know, um, I didn't have to compromise. Luckily I didn't have to compromise uh, quality over price, you know, and it wasn't a book I was going to say, well, I'm going to make 5,000 copies and try to sell it to the world. It was, it was a small run that I made and, uh, and I wanted to, to have it to be as good a quality as I could make it that I felt it was, it was going to be a piece of art instead of just a book on its own. And so I made it a little bigger, oversized. I wanted something with a lot of white around the image so that it created a negative space. I want the image to be big enough to that you can see it because for my for my images, some of it is, I know, a little complex. There's a lot of detail in there. So I wanted to make sure the image is big enough that you can see it. I also like the way that I like the finish of the paper. It had to be a matte finish. It can't be of any sheen on it. I just, my, I'm very particular about how the image looks like on a fine art print as well as a book. So those are the things that made me do everything on my own. And I'm pretty proud of it. But again, it became a book that was more for the love of it than actually a business uh, venture because it definitely doesn't make any money. <laughs> But I'm very lucky to be able to have a optometry career that supports my passion. Yeah, you've mentioned that your photography runs alongside that career. Mm-hmm. Um, you've never have you ever been tempted to turn professional? And do you think you've your photography's benefited from not having those pre- uh, pressures of a professional career? Well, I think uh, I guess if you say am I a professional or not, you know, I guess I do make money from photography. Um, I do. Um, you know, I do get work from different organizations. So I guess I'm, I am a professional, but just not a full-time professional. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so, but at the same time, I get to choose the topics I want to photograph. If I was a full-time photographer, uh, you know, uh, and my photography was the only source of income, I would have to compromise on what I want to shoot because what I photograph are definitely not very sellable images. I'm not going to get... Um, tourism Nepal knocking on my door say look can I borrow some of your images of your slums uh, to to promote our country that's never going to happen um, and you know magazines and newspapers are dying every day so it's not like there would be any people knocking on my door for it so I, I do it for the love of it you know and if I if I able to bring awareness to it great you know, uh, and, and a lot of the stuff that we we make from the sales of the books or prints, whatever, goes back to our, you know, to these organizations that help me anyway. So I don't, even though we make money from it, it's never in my pocket. It goes back to the, the, the organizations that we help. Nice. Did your, well, I was going to come back to your, um, to your most recent project, your color project, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, again, there's a the, there's a lovely feel to your pictures, and I'm kind of I'm curious to know how you went about selecting them for going into color mm. rather than being black and white. Because actually, I'm looking through them now. I, I'm looking at them right now, and I I could see that a lot of them would work very well as black and whites too. They've all, they've obviously all got the right composition and tone and texture and shape and form but then you've brought color into them how did you go through and select out of obviously what is quite an extensive archive was yeah. there something you were particularly looking for uh i guess i guess it just no i wasn't really looking anything a specific situation that i would say this has to be in the in the in the book 
I think it was more the um, idea when I look, when I went back to my archives, of course, a lot of the images were either on, on slides, which are colored slides, as well as, um, um, you know, raw files from a digital camera. And they were all, of course, all color. And I think it was just going back to them and revisiting them because I had that year and a half off. And even some of the time that we are, our practice was shut down, uh, which uh, which gave me a lot more time. And I just went through them just slowly again. You know, sometimes it's this pro this book project really was an amazing experience because it allowed me. You know, sometimes we photograph something, we take some images, pull it out, and put it in a book magazine or public pub, publish it or whatever, and then the rest of the images sort of get forgotten and just get sit in our in our hard drives. And and what this allowed me to do is to revisit some of these images and just also remind me myself the experiences I had, you know, just brings back a lot of memories. And that was in itself a great, great thing. Um, but when I was looking through the images, I was looking, uh, the well, the slides were all color. So I just basically, you know, use the ones that were my favorites. But when I went to the digital files and they were all color, I sort of looked at them. I said, oh, this one, I, I don't know why I even, not even accepted it for my, my, either my portfolio or my website or my book or whatever. And I think part of the reason is it didn't look that great in black and white when I converted to black and white. But then when I sort of had a different outlook on it and I looked at them as is, um, I, I just fell in love with, love with it. Now there's particular, there's one image, um, there's two in particular. There's one of a, a little boy sitting on a bench right in the center of the photograph. And, he's, and it's this sort of brownish reddish scene behind him and he's that dirty he's sitting right on the bench he's on the lower center of the picture I, I i looked at the image and i said i i i pass it on the first time when i did my portfolio for that series of the manila project and i forgot it took it and then i went back to the to the archives and looked through the image and i said wow i i, I just looked at it again and again and I, and I it's one of my favorite images now i mean it's it's a very simple composition but it said so much, the little boy's face in this little bit dirty and, and his legs are crossed and a little bit. I just thought, oh, I just, I just love it for some reason in, in color. In black and white, it would have been a little bit, um, it would be a little boring, you know, because of the tones of all the, the background and foreground, basically just sort of camouflage each other. Whereas in color, um, even though color was subtle, it created this separation between him and the background. And uh, because the lighting was flat, you know, he was in sort of uh, in a cloudy situation. So there wasn't much dramatic lighting. There wasn't a lot of, you know, shadows and, and, uh, and, and highlights. Um, and so it was firstly discarded as a potential image for my black and white portfolio. But looking back in the color, it, I felt it really sang. So to answer your question, it was there's nothing particular that says this image is going to go in the second book, other than the fact that when it when I saw it again, it connected with me again. And then I went through the process of picking, let's say, 500 images, and then went from 500 to 300, 300 to down to like 150 or something in, in the final selection of images. And the criterion for me for picking these images were that the image was strong as is. You know, um, and it was also not in the black and white book. Now, there's I do contradict myself a little bit. There's about three or four images that that I went back to that was in the black and white book, 
that turned out to be in the color book as well too. Because when I looked at it again, the images were strong in both black and white in color. So I kept them in, in both books. But the majority, 95% of the images in the color book are different from the images from the black and white book. And this sort of makes it interesting because I could, it, sometimes it could be the same situation, same, same, almost the same scene in, in, in the two books. Uh, just one time, there'll be something where the lighting is much more critical, and that made the black and white image more powerful. And the other time, the color was more important, or part of the importance of the story. It wasn't the, the important factor in the image. It was that the color enhanced the storytelling of the image. Sure. It's very interesting to hear you talk about um, shadows and contrast and highlights. Um, obviously, black and white photography, that's a very powerful tool. Um, in colour, it's one that has to be used very carefully and often people kind of cop out and go towards HDR. Is that something you work with or is it not of interest to you? Not really, not, not at all actually. I, wanted the, I want the image, images to look as hopefully as natural as possible. Um, I don't want to make it so that it's too sensational you know i you know you do you know when you work on the images you do want to increase a little bit of contrast and highlights and so on but all in all you know again coming from a from a background of old school film photography you sort in a, in a in a documentary way you want to make sure that the images are true to to what it is you know manipulation is not something that it really appeals to me that much and i'm, I'm not very pleased to hear you say that larry <laughs> <laughs> I hate HDR with the passion. <laughs> yeah, I do too. It looks fake, you know. It looks yeah. really. Uh, I think it's uh, uh, it's it's too much of something, you know. Mm -hmm. I think like like music. Sometimes you want it loud and distorted, but other times you just want that peace and quiet. And you mm -hmm. have to have to have the harmony between the two to make this piece of music really sing well. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, photo photography is no different. And what's wrong with shadows? What's wrong with shadows? No, no, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, there, there's there's nothing, wrong no, nothing is shadows. it? Nothing's wrong with shadows. Back, part back, of the way we see. There's an image in my book, my black and white book, where there's a young monk who's reading, he's trying to reading the scriptures, um, and there's a window light coming uh, from the side there. And when I walked into the scene, it was relatively, uh, he, I mean, with your eyes, you can see everything, right? But the camera doesn't have that, as much dynamic range as your eyes do. Um, so when I took the picture, I took the picture, not knowing exactly how it's going to look like, but when I looked at it on the screen, I deliberately decreased the uh, brightness a little bit. And all you could see was just the highlight of his clothing hit by the window from behind him. And you can't see his face at all. In the real life, you could see his face, but I think hiding his face in the shadows and not seeing who he is gives that sense of mystery. And I think it creates a, a very much more moodier image than it would have been if it was exposed properly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess it, in that way, I did manipulate it a little bit because I want to create a sense of mystery in the picture. He's sitting in the, in the, I don't think it's in the website. It's in my book though. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't consider that manipulation though. That's, that's just part of the photographic process using exposure yeah. to, to bring out or hide what you want to. 
Yeah, I think so too. And I think it creates a sense. I just love that because I just think that it, sometimes the, the image, instead of answering some questions, it actually asks more questions, you know, because as a viewer, you kind of want to be in, engaged in the photograph, right? As a, as a photographer, you want the person looking at your photograph to be engaged. And that's the most, the best compliment anybody can get. And when a person looks at the photograph and stops and looks at it, that is the best gift you can give a photographer, right? Because with today's society, everything is like, see one in a split second, it's gone, you know, the Instagram, whatever it is, when you can stop in front of a photograph and stare at it, and you see somebody doing that, it gives you sort of a your heart sort of beats again, you know, so, oh my God, he, he's, even though he may not like it, it doesn't have to be like or don't like, it's not about liking or like, because we all have different tastes, but if you're able to grab his attention and pause for a second and ask a question, I think that's really the important key of a, of a successful photograph. I get, I get the feeling of, you know, I've looked through your, looked through your website and, um, I'm not usually very effusive in my praise of photographers. I, 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 I look at a lot of photography, but rarely do I tell someone that I think their work is spectacular. And I will tell you that I think your work is spectacular. Um, so and, and there is a lot of, uh, there's a lot in there that, that makes me stop and pay more attention and, and maybe look into a picture a little more than I maybe otherwise would do. And it leaves me with a feeling that, you know, in, in the modern age, there are lots of people that want to be photographers and they get a camera and they go out shooting. There are lots of people that are photographers and they go out shooting and yet they couldn't muster a collection of images that are individually as great as you've got and as many of them. People go, you know, everyone gets a great image here and there, but you seem to have an extensive collection of them. And it, it makes me think that, you know, in this fast-paced world of, of new picture every second it really highlights the benefit of taking your time and learning your craft and, and actually in your case knowing what it is you want to say with your pictures and I think that really comes through when I when I look at your work oh thank so, you so much David that thank is, you for having it out there in in the public domain to to see well thank you so so much <laughs> that's so nice of you to say that well I think that's a lovely point to end on um it's been really great chatting with you and uh, and catching up and and obviously you know in in researching this we both both went back and looked at your work and it was a delight to go through it again thank so you so thank much you, Larry. thank you absolutely thank now, you very much for taking the time. yeah thank you so much david